we must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey, and thanks for listening. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, F. Scott Field, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Brandon Pohn. We're breaking down yet another silo in the healthcare field tonight as we interview Jerry Dykeman, pharmacy student at Campbell University. Go Camels! Jerry's originally from my hometown of Islip, New York, and moved to Raleigh, North Carolina for college. Uh, He's a bit of a non-traditional student, and I'll let him dive into that a little more during the interview, but he earned his BS in business administration from NC State, worked in finance, insurance, real estate for about eight years, and then decided to go back to school to become a pharmacist. Jerry's currently a third-year pharmacy student completing a dual degree in PharmD and MS in public health. Um, he's engaged to a wonderful woman, uh, is soon to be married in 2018, and is the fiercest linebacker ever to don a pair of cleats on the Islip High School football field. Ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Dykeman. Jerry, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. It is so great to reconnect with you. Uh, I know we kept your bio relatively brief, but is there anything else that we left out that you'd like our audience to know about you? First, thank you for having me. And that covers most of it in broad strokes. Uh, I'm pretty active in you know, some of the student organizations that we have, and we can talk about that um, a little bit. But yeah, just currently a student in the throes of it. Nice, Jerry. And, you know, Scott mentioned this a little bit in the intro, and of course, we were going to go down this road, but uh, that you were a bit of a non-traditional student. Do you think you could tell our audience a little insight of as to what that means and what your academic journey looked like getting to where you are today? Certainly. I, I talk about it often because uh, it, it is kind of, it's comical to me a little bit, but I took a pretty circuitous route to get where I am today. Originally applied to schools in with like a pre-med medical science type of degree in mind, ended up switching to a business degree. I ended up at NC State uh, studying business administration in Raleigh. And kind of after about two years, I got a job at a pharmacy to kill some time. And I really liked what was going on there. I had some great people there, kind of rekindled this, the, the idea of getting into the healthcare field. And instead of doing that, I chickened out altogether <laughs> again and uh, kind of stopped going to school a little bit, started an internship, which turned into a job. And I would you know, kind of work a little, go back to school here and there. Ended up with a mentor of mine when he started a, a business in the mortgage industry. Um, and it was just the two of us. And ended up doing that for about eight years, grew it to about 30 employees. He decided he wanted to get rid of the company in like 2007 before any of the, the stuff broke loose in that, in that market. But over that time, we'd gotten involved with real estate, insurance, kind of got some broad, broad experiences there. And when he decided to sell the company, I kind of went back to the drawing board and always had this idea of pharmacy school and being a pharmacist in the back of my mind. So I figured no time like the present. <laughs> and uh, at that point, hadn't finished my undergrad degree. And while I was trying to figure out you know, how to map this all out and, and, and get into pharmacy school, I decided to go back to school, finish my undergrad degree. So I have a BS in business administration with a concentration in entrepreneurship. 
and started taking the science classes that I didn't take before because I wasn't didn't need them. So I was, <laughs> I was taking like geology class and you know things like that, natural disasters <laughs> because I didn't need chemistry or any of that. And in that time, I figured out, okay, well, the, the, the real test will be when I take organic chemistry. And if I can do that, you know, maybe I got a shot at this. So it took a few years to get it together, some setbacks, ended up at a local um, community college to finish out those undergrad, uh, the prerequisites that I needed. It took me a while to build up the courage to actually take the PCAT, which is the entrance exam for pharmacy school, similar to like the LSATs or the MCATs. And once I finally got up the nerve to do that, I did it. And I applied to a bunch of schools here in the Southeast. And yeah, so ended up entering pharmacy school at the ripe age of what thirty six. <laughs> yeah, don't don't remind me, Jerry. You know, you're you're currently talking to two physical therapists, right? And our, our podcast has an audience of several students, clinicians, and educators uh, all across several different fields in the medical profession. Uh, can you tell us what all the letters mean uh, that that comes with a PharmD degree and an MS in public health, just so that we all understand and we start out on the same page? Yeah, most certainly. So PharmD is the, the doctorate in pharmacy. Um, which is now the standard for any practicing pharmacist. In the past, you you could do like a five-year undergraduate program and and get a uh, a bachelor's in pharmacy, um, but that's that changed back in the mid '90s, I think. So it's an interesting doctoral degree in that I think it's the only one you can you can actually enter without having a bachelor's degree because you can still do the two-year prerequis- prerequisite material. And then enter the four-year pharmacy program, which I feel is kind of interesting still. But so so that's what the PharmD stands for. And then the MS in public health is a master of science in public health, similar to uh, an MPH um, that some other schools offer. It's an interesting thing that ph- a lot of pharmacists offer dual degrees. Pharm- uh, Campbell is one of the things that attracted me to it was that I had this master's in public health degree. And it basically is a, it gives you a crash course, if you will. And looking at things from a population level, the the multitude of factors that impact our community's health, you know, not just that individual um, one-on-one patient practitioner scope of, of looking at things, but kind of get a broader factor of all the, the the moving parts that make up the health of our nation, our you know, our society, and you know, down to our community. Sure. No, Jerry, I think that's fantastic. And I think being able to kind of get another um, different type of degree to kind of help expand that to better help, you know, the role as a pharmacist, I think is awesome. And I'm kind of curious, besides what you saw, said before, but why the the dual degree? So what I was coming in, I was considering doing a dual degree. And the most obvious one for me with my undergrad degree would have been a master's, uh, an MBA. It just kind of made the most sense. I had all the prerequisites for that program laid out already. But to me, I felt like it was just kind of kind of be hashing out a lot of the same things that I've been over, you know, whether it had been in the classroom in my undergraduate experiences or the things I was doing in real life out in the business world. So I was looking for something that would give me a different perspective because I knew, uh, you know, going into this venture that there, there were issues around, you know, healthcare, specifically the pharmacy industry. I spent a lot of time thinking about it, whether or not there was, you know, a saturation issue and how that might impact, you know, what I was getting ready to partake and, and, and the road I was going to go down. So I ended up going to an open house event and I really got engaged with the, the faculty at, with the public health program, which is fairly new just to Campbell. It had only been there for a couple of years. And it just really 
kind of lit a fire in me to, to figure out like what does public health mean? How can this help inform me better so that I can provide better care or I can, you know, provide something unique to the profession to start to look at things a little bit differently as this landscape changes so rapidly in, you know, in front of us. Yeah, Jerry, I think we're going to need to hook you up with Mike Eisenhart and the APHPT group, man. I think you'll, uh, you'll really enjoy them once you get a little breathing room after school. Very big into health, wellness, prevention, you know, and a lot of really good public health people in there. So remind me down the line after you've graduated and you're ready to rock and roll in the real world, just uh, hit, hit me up again. And I'll introduce you to those guys for sure. It's an amazing group of people doing some really amazing things. But again, it's it's kind of turning away from chronic illness and medication and treatment and turning toward health-facing promotion, wellness, that kind of stuff. So uh, I think it's definitely a direction we're going to need to head in and something we might dive into a little bit later in the interview. But Jerry, I realize that every pharmacy school is different um, and specific to their program, but could you tell us a little bit about the curriculum in your program at Camel there and how it's laid out as far as like a timeline? Uh, and Is there any live field action or, or anything like that on top of the didactic stuff? Yeah, most certainly. So we got an interesting thing going on at Campbell right now because they instituted a curriculum change. So I am currently on what they're calling the legacy curriculum, which has been in place since the inaugural class that started in 1986, I believe. So the current structure, which was pretty much the norm and is still at a lot of schools, is you come in for your first year of didactic and you go over all of your foundational science courses you don't get much into pharmacology or any of that stuff the first year. You're basically just making sure everybody's on uh, a level field as far as the foundational knowledge that they'll need moving forward. So that's the first two semesters. And then the summer in between those those semesters, you do your first clinical rotation. You go for your intro to community pharmacy, which could be at your local chain retail pharmacy. It could be at an outpatient pharmacy in a, a health system. So it's not, you know, just the typical CVS or Walgreens or something like that. There's a lot of opportunity there. There's independence, there's compounding pharmacies. So you can get a, a wide range of experiences that first year. And it's just an injury, introductory level uh, rotation for one month. And the second didactic year, uh, you start to get into the more pharmacy-specific pharmacology, medicinal chemistry courses, pharmaceutics courses, kinetics courses, um, things like that. And that you do that over the, the next year. And at the end of that second year, you have your, sec, your introductory to hospital pharmacy. Um, so it's another introductory clinical rotation. And you, or like my personal experience, I got to a hospital system and I spent a couple of days with every practice or every clinician in the hospital, like all the different settings. So ranging from medication safety, the internal med, the OR satellite, uh, the central pharmacy, the, the clinical pharmacists on the floor. So I got to, to see a little bit of what pharmacy does in all those settings throughout the whole hospital, which is pretty, pretty interesting. And then you come back for your third and final didactic year in the classroom. And that's when you, it pulls everything together. And the core of that third year for us is therapeutic. So you're applying all this knowledge that you've um, gained over the last couple years and applying it to all the disease states and the clinical decisions that you're making as far as the, the pharmaceutical aspect of it and the, the drug choices and drug therapies. 
And there's some other courses sprinkled in like law and things like that. But the bulk of it is, is eaten up by that therapeutics course. And then after that, we have our fourth and final year, which is all out in the field doing advanced clinical rotations. In uh, So over that final year, we have nine rotations that we have to complete. Six of them are mandatory, and then there's three electives. So the mandatory ones cover things like internal medicine, geriatrics, ambulatory care, advanced hospital, advanced community, um, things like that. And then you can pick from a long list of specialized uh, optional rotations um, and elective rotations that you can do. And then that's the the end of the the course um, as far as our current curriculum stands. Nice, Jerry. And I realizing, of course, that, you know, you're not 100% done with school at this time and that there is variability between the pro- that between programs nationally, of course. But, you know, from what you've experienced thus far while being in pharmacy school, what do you think are some of the limitations of pharmacy school? And how do you think that these limitations should be addressed? I think that's a, a great question. And I, I think it's interesting because I feel like it's playing out at my school, school specifically because we have the first year, the current first year classes on a new curriculum that I think addresses a lot of the concerns that students in my curriculum have um, with regards to the structure. So the current curriculum we're on, you learn things the first year that you don't see again until the third year. And there's no context to relevancy as far as the things they're throwing at you. It feels like they're just kind of stuck in there. And what they're doing now with the new curriculum, and I think this is this is true of a lot of schools that have gone to a new curriculum, and I think it's associated with the accreditation processes and, and what they want to see as far as people earning the degree of, of, of a you know, doctor in pharmacy, is uh, more of a systems-based approach. So the students, the first-year students, are going right into the deep end of the pool. A lot of their, a lot of their uh, initial coursework, uh, that like the foundational stuff that I mentioned earlier, is condensed into like an eight-week block. And then now what they're doing is they're aligned, they've aligned the education based on a, a, a body system, and they're getting the, the the medicinal chemistry of the drug, the pharmacology of the drug, along with the physiology and the pathophys, and they're getting that all together. So it's very relevant to, to what they're learning. And and then they they build on it, so they see it in repetition over and over again, and they're getting it in context to why they're learning it, which I think will help students long term um, with regards to it. And then one of the other things I think that could help students is introducing the the clinical rotation experience earlier in the process or longitudinally in the process where I know I've heard of one school at least that like once a week, once they hit a certain point in the curriculum, once a week they go and have a clinical experience, which I think for students that maybe don't know how they want to practice, haven't been in a pharmacy before, or, you know, just struggle to, to relate what's going on in the classroom to the real world relevance of it. Would, would really benefit the students if they were able to, to have those experiences earlier on. So I think that's definitely something that, that could help shift away, shift the, the education process. And then another thing that I know our school, and I'm not just promoting Campbell because I know it's going on other places, it's just you know the context I have for, for my experience, but they've really started to embrace the interprofessional education aspect of things. Because at Campbell, the first health so at Campbell, the first healthcare profession program that they had was the pharmacy school in 1986. 
since then, they've added a doctor of physical therapy program, uh, a DO program, a PA program. There's now a bachelor in nursing program. So we're in a small rural community, and to have all of those programs going on at one school with a focus on you know rural health and access to, to, to care and things like that is something really unique. So the school has recognized this, and they've really started implementing some IPE curriculum uh, across all the different programs. So I think that's something, too, uh, definitely with the changing face of healthcare and how it, the emphasis is really on that patient-centered care model and the team model. I think that's something that could really benefit students in all practice settings of all professional programs and and healthcare programs because I, I think that's something in the future that we're really going to need to to have that that dynamic going on where we we understand with each other, we're able to communicate with each other, we know our roles on the team, and then we can really go for providing the highest level of care for our patients. Yeah, and Jerry, regardless of which uh, course you're in for the didactic stuff. Uh, at the end, does it culminate in like a, a national board exam or has that work? Yeah, exactly. So sorry, I kind of left that part out. Yeah, that <laughs> that's kind of the big, the big hurdle you have to get over to get licensed. So there is a national um, exam called the NAPLEX that deals with, you know, pretty much recapping every, everything you've learned over the, the previous years. And then each state has their own licensing, uh, law licensing. So you'll have to take the law exam. Um, there are some states that re- reciprocate and things like that, but for the most part, it's the the national board exam, and then each state has a, an exam you have to take too. Excellent. And so, I'd like to get your opinion now on this one. It, what would you recommend for, say, a high school student or a college student interested in pursuing a career as a pharmacist? Um, any tips or pointers on how to get into pharmacy programs? Sure, I can can kind of can speak to that a little bit. I have my own experience, but then I also have participated in the student ambassador program at my school. So I get to meet prospective students the day they come to interview. I get to have some correspondence with them and things like that. So, you know, having gone through the process, I can definitely relate to, to how to, you know, get through some of those hurdles. And especially in my case, because I came from a different path. But what I would say is it's, it's gotten incredibly competitive. There's been a great proliferation in the number of schools and the number of applicants. So I would say one of the first things I'd recommend is if they can shadow with a pharmacist in really any practice setting, because there's so many opportunities out there for pharmacists that I didn't even know about. But just getting some experience with a glimpse into what a pharmacist is doing, I think is very helpful to kind of orientate themselves to seeing like, is this something I can pursue, get some hands-on information right from the source? That's, a, I think, a great opportunity for, for a prospective student. With regards to like the academic and the 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 CV and and all that process, you know they, they definitely want to excel in their coursework. It's not always about the coursework, but you do have to meet a certain minimum as far as GPA and and entrance exam scores and things like that. So definitely take those things seriously because that's the foundation for you to set you up for success in the future. And then I would say get involved in you know clubs, any kind of you know, charitable efforts or any kind of giving back. That's the word I'm searching for here. Sorry, guys, I'm searching for a word here. (laughs) So I would say find something you're passionate about and and find ways to volunteer and give back to your community and build some experiences that way, because that's something they're going to they're going to look at. And I think that's just something that can help shape and humble a prospective student to give you, you know, a, a good grounding in 
what lies ahead of you because there's it's definitely one of the most challenging things that you'll you'll embark on but i feel it's also one of the most rewarding things as well i mean I, my personal experience is definitely the hardest thing i've ever done but by by far it's also the most rewarding thing that i've i've been a part of as well because i've had some great experiences and great opportunities through the whole entire process and the accomplishment of getting in is, is something that i'm very proud of and then one last little area i guess to, to work on too would be the communication skills. I think one of the biggest parts of getting accepted into a program is the interview process. So definitely take that part seriously. You got to have the grades, you got to have the CV, you got to have the entrance exam score, you know, you got to tick those boxes as far as getting the interview. But then once you get the interview, be confident and know that you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. And if you've gotten the interview, that means you're qualified. So then you just need to go in there and kind of separate yourself a little bit further and and speak clearly and speak confidently and have a, a few different experiences to pull on as far as relate them to you know pharmacy or the challenges of what lies ahead in pharmacy school or you know the changing healthcare field so definitely have some of those stories to go to and some personal experiences to go to because I think that's when you have those authentic experiences to go from that, that comes across the table in a big way and I think goes a long way to helping students get accepted. Yeah, Jerry, I think that's actually pretty much for all of healthcare we're finding is that those quote unquote soft skills are super important with just relating to people, you know, uh, patients, clients, people. It just, it, it's super important to be able to communicate and just talk with people and have conversations. So, I, you know, I know we saw that a lot in the physical therapy uh, field with, um, our, our interviews for PT school and stuff. So it seems like that really is across the board on, on just about all medical professions. Just a quick question, a little bit random here, but are you seeing any pharmacy technicians then becoming pharmacists? Is that an avenue to take as well? Yeah, I would say that's that's definitely a path of progression that you see for a lot of students. Not all students, because I have a number of classmates that never stepped foot in the pharmacy before and are in pharmacy school. So it's not a, a a mandate that you, you you go down that path, but I think it's a logical profession, uh, a logical progression. Excuse me, I think that's a logical progression um, because they're in the pharmacy side by side with the pharmacist, and depending on the practice setting and the pharmacy you work in, the technicians do a lot of the heavy lifting. So if they're inquisitive and they're lear- asking questions and they they learn about what's going on, they they say like, oh, that's something I could definitely do, and I'm I'm the walking poster board for. Uh, if, if I can do it, I think I think anybody can do it if you put the, the work into it, because I started out as a technician. I, I was very curious. Uh, I asked a lot of questions, kind of had an inkling that I wanted to go into that field. But then, yeah, it's definitely served me greatly having some of those experiences. So if someone can work for a brief period of time before going in, that I think will help serve them and, and have a lot of experiences to draw on throughout the process. Yeah, no, Jerry, that's a fantastic point. And very similarly with the physical therapy world as well. I know a lot of people that have started off being techs and then kind of worked their way up and then kind of realized they did want to do PT. So then they kind of pursued that further. So I think that's a great take. And, you know, I'm going to rewind a little bit and kind of go back to the curriculum. So you did a great job talking about the didactic, the clinical, and then kind of that ultimate um, board exam and how that process is. And I'm going to kind of take it a step further next and kind of say, and ask two questions on this one. So are there residency fellowship specialization options that pharmacists usually do after that? And, and my second question is, what are some of the avenues that pharmacists work in that perhaps most healthcare providers or people for that matter have no idea they work in? 
Oh, those are great questions. And yeah, there are definitely residencies and there are fellowships. And those are two areas I knew nothing about before I arrived at school. And I, I think our administrators did a great job our first year of bringing people in from all different uh, areas of practice to talk about their experiences, talk about residency, talk about fellowship. So a residency, for those that may not know, um, it can either be a one-year residency or there are some that go on to be a two-year more specialized residency. So there are residencies for community pharmacy. Um, so if you know you want to practice in that setting, there is a, a route for you to go um, and do a residency where you have preceptor, basically. So you're working, but you're also still kind of a student. So it'll be a year-long program, and you'll have different projects throughout that year. You'll have you'll work in different areas of the practice that year. So you have that for community. And then you also have that for health system pharmacy or hospital pharmacy, basically. So that first year is a a generalized hospital pharmacy. And then the more specialized two-year, the second year of the residency is where you, you would specialize in, say, cardiology or oncology or ambulatory care or things of that nature, critical care. The fellowships that I've heard about that are available, most of them are two-year. There are a few that are one-year, but most of what I've seen are two-year. And a lot of those are linked to industry jobs, so jobs in pharmaceutical industry. And and really, because that's such a highly regulated area, to progress at a quicker rate in that field of practice, they really strongly pull from the candidates that do that uh, fellowship because they're coming out the other side of a a polished candidate for employment and are, are well-versed in that environment. But there are some other fellowships that I've heard about where there's like a legislative or advocacy focus, things of that nature. So all of those are usually come with a, a salary. There is some component of it that requires you to staff and work. And then there's also another component where you're still learning. You're getting a lot of really vast experiences and you're, you're practicing with that safety net for that first year of having somebody to call on and that that can kind of you know check on your work behind you when you need it uh, and provide you that support and it's a way to advance your career um, at a little bit more of an accelerated rate and, and, and to be quite honest it hasn't become mandatory to do residencies but a lot of the hospital systems will only consider candidates that have gone through the residency process so it's definitely a lot more on people's radar and it's also ultra competitive right now to get in because there's only so many residencies because it's not a mandatory thing, there's just not a lot of practice sites for them, but it is growing each year. So that's that's encouraging. And it's something that I'm considering now and not having known anything about it is just definitely something that interests me. I just like that idea of getting that advanced training, advancing my career at a little bit accelerated rate, and also having that safety net to practice with. So then with regard to your second question, which I think is an awesome question, there are tons of areas that pharmacists practice in that I had no clue about. So it's been pretty neat to see that. Like I said, the school's done a good job of bringing people in to talk to us. And we have a really strong alumni network that they put us in touch with. So there are areas like nuclear pharmacy, where pharmacists are involved in preparing oncological drugs, radiological drugs for testing, um, imaging, things like that, which is something I didn't know about. It sounds really cool. They had someone come in and talk to us about that. And it was really fascinating. Very, very niche field, but also sounds very cool. Another area that I think is pretty neat is uh, the clinical research side of things. There are a lot of clinical research organizations that hire pharmacists to run project management and kind of head the 
teams that do site monitoring for drug development when drugs are in like the third phase of trial and things like that. And the, the triangle area here has a bunch of those companies. So that's kind of a hot uh, topic in this area, which is pretty cool. I mean, there are clinical pharmacists in the hospital that do nutrition therapy and are involved in preparing the, uh, the bags of, of uh, nutrients that patients that require that or can't eat while they're in the hospital. They go through that. Seeing that hands-on was pretty neat. There was uh, a pharmacist that's like a sole pharmacist dedicated to the operating room in the hospital system that I was at, which I didn't realize. I just thought there was one pharmacy. But the pharmacist that was there was incredible. She had been doing it for 25 years. She was so well, knowledge, well knowledgeable and well-versed in the all of the drugs associated with all the different types of surgical procedures that go on at that clinic. So that was pretty interesting. They work in infusion clinics. They They work with AIDS patients. They work in rural community clinics, doing a lot of really interesting things where they're basically... So every state in the in the United States has a, a collaborative practice agreement um, that's set up where pharmacists can enter into a contract, if you will, to operate under a licensed physician. So in our state, it's called the Clinical Pharmacist Practitioner, CPP. And fortunately, North Carolina has been a pretty progressive state. So they have pharmacists that can go through specialized training, get a certification, they get licensed with the Board of Medicine and the Board of Pharmacy, and they're able to see patients, conduct the, the physical exams, and do disease state management where they're writing, they're writing uh, prescriptions for the patient, they're ordering labs, they're following the progression of the patient, they're tweaking the prescriptions and changing the therapies, which is something that I, I found really fascinating to see that and to see kind of what might be possible in like an alternate practice setting. So that was pretty, pretty enlightening to me. But those are just some of them. There are, there are even others out there that I don't even know about yet still. So looking forward to learning about those. Thank you for attending class today, and we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, Extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.